Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream. I am Richard Bliss, the host. I appreciate you joining us. We've had uh, a, a resurgence as the episodes have come out. It's been great, the feedback that we've received from our, from our um, listeners. That's you. So thank you very much for that support. Thank you for the support on Patreon, and thank you for the support of uh, those of our guests that you have gone out and backed. Uh, we appreciate that. Our guests often come, come on because they have a, a piece of information or knowledge to share that makes all of us a little smarter and all of us a little bit more successful, which is why... I've invited back a guest that I had on a previous episode. He uh, had a lot of good things to share. He's been very successful in finding his niche and, ma- and exploiting that niche and making it successful. I have my guest, John Covey from Genius Games. John, thanks for joining me. Hey, absolutely. Glad to be here. It is nice to have you here because you've had so much success with uh, your Kickstarter campaigns. For those who are maybe listening for the first time, you were on recently. You have a game company, gotgeniusgames.com, but it's actually just Genius Games. And then you right. uh, uh, have – tell us a little bit. You, you shared it in the previous episode, but tell us a little bit about the niche that Genius Games is all about. Right. So we design hard science games for both gamers and people who want to use them for educational purposes. We have uh, our, our sixth game, tabletop game, is currently live on Kickstarter right now. It's called Cytosis a cell biology game, C-Y-T-O-S-I-S. And you can find that on Kickstarter. It's doing really, really well. We raised over $100,000 in the first week. Uh, And then we have a number of other biology-based and chemistry-based card games that that have sold um, thousands of copies globally. So one of the challenges that anybody has when they have an idea, particularly in the board game space, is the difference between – and when people ask me for advice, I tell them, do you want to be a game designer or do you want to be a game mm. publisher? Because it's so hard sometimes to do both. But you're currently doing both. And you talked about actually uh, on your documentary on YouTube, your um, – what's it called, the documentary? Ah, uh, yeah. So we currently have a, a documentary series called A Kickstarter Launch Story. And one of those things – And is it's your... about the process. Go ahead. Or Sorry, go ahead. It's about the process to design and launch the the game we currently have on Kickstarter to give essentially to give backers and anyone who wants to launch a Kickstarter campaign a behind the scenes look at what that's like. And I was able to do that with my uh, Lynda.com LinkedIn learning project where I had your project behind the scenes. You gave me access and I was able to go in and show people what it looks like behind the scenes. And so that's what you're doing also with your documentary. And the last time you were on, you talked about – the life of a publisher and a game publisher uh, running Kickstarter. Tell oh us, yes, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so you know that's it's really interesting. I I, I would love to hear some of your thoughts too about some of the things that I have to say. But what I've noticed, I mean, over time, so we started having these conversations, Richard, what three years ago. Yeah. And at that point, it was just a hobby for me. I had an idea for a game. I was working for. Uh, consulting company as an engineer full-time and uh, designing games was really just a hobby and um, we were able to get a small audience of a few hundred people and launch the game on Kickstarter and our audience showed up on day one and we had a really good launch day and then people from Kickstarter showed up it was a small game you know I think uh, we are asking backers to donate $14 for a copy of the game Um, and since then we've grown an entire 
publishing company out of that one campaign. We've had seven other successful campaigns, including the one currently after that one. Um, and what I, th I think we've seen a huge shift in the way that individuals and companies are using Kickstarter. Um, and for us, what's interesting is um, when, I first, when I first launched that campaign – uh, I don't think I could do something like that now. I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if if I could or not, um, because it seems like the bar for Kickstarter has gotten so high over the years. Um, and now, as a publishing company, um, we have to we have to we have to so quickly produce products and produce games and get them on Kickstarter, or it's almost like people forget about us. Um, I mean, do you see? So, since we started talking three years ago, do do you do you hear what I'm saying about the way that people are using Kickstarter and how the bar has really risen, and how how companies are having to really like produce and produce content and get it out there on Kickstarter, or they kind of get forgotten? Yeah, it's kind of I refer to it as feeding the beast, right? Is that you get your name right. out there? Now we can talk about how do you get your name out there in the current environment, but once you get your name out there, the the key now is you're right to continue to feed the beast that you now have backers. They like what they they right right. Uh, Seth Godin years ago when I had him on the show, uh, he had his success with his Kickstarter campaign, but he wrote a book called Permission Marketing. These people, <clears throat> excuse me, have given you permission to market to them because they're interested in what you have to say. And as long as you don't abuse that, and abuse would be spam or things unrelated to what they have given you permission to market them, you right. now have a captured or a captive audience that's saying, feed me, give me something I'm interested in. And the key to success of that is obviously finding what they're interested in. In your case, you found on that very first game, Linkage, you found something that an untapped group of people we're interested in, and what was that audience that you found? Yeah, that audience was the overlap of um, of hardcore gamers of, or avid gamers, people who would consider them, themselves a tabletop gamer, and the science community. So scientists who were gamers and wanted a little bit more hard science or something that that really drew that science mind into the game. And what's interesting is that Kickstarter has – in the olden days, before pre-Kickstarter, there was no way you could have successfully built a game company to focus on that niche market. Because, oh, my gosh. No, yeah. Right? No because, way. There was just no way. A variety of reasons. One, distribution. The ability to get enough games into a game store that has a limited geographical footprint. So there'd have to be enough scientists interested in games in that store for them to sell enough product to bring them into that store around your product. And it'd be almost impossible to find them. So then you have email newsletters and news lists and that type of thing. But those, be, you have to have the names beforehand. You can't go out and buy, I'm going to go buy a list and it's going to be scientists over the age of 30 who have kids under the age of two who like right. to play. I mean, right? You can't, you can't find that. But Kickstarter is a unique thing because what it did is it pre-approved your audience and then they gave you their names and they said, here, here's my contact information. Here's all of my demographics. Now, right. feed me. Right. And so, yes, that's been the difference. And that's what you, it's so important that when you get going like you've done, find your niche, recognize your niche, and now feed that niche. And there's a great book out there called uh, Crossing the Chasm. It's quite a few years old by Jeffrey Moore. 
and it talks about how there are these phases that you go through in an industry uh, or a product or a movement. The early adopters, you've got your, uh, your innovators, those who are designing things. Think of Michael Mendez with Eminent Domain uh, as an in innovator who just came up with an idea and used Kickstarter to kind of do something that had never been done before. Then you have your early adopters. These are people who see that this is about a 90%, 80% completion, but you could see how it would give you an advantage to do that. These people take advantage of that new thing to build something. Then right. what often happens, though, is you find somebody quits their day job because they had one Kickstarter campaign that did $100,000, and they're like, "Woohoo! I'm going to be rich. Uh, what was that one? Uh, the Atlanta... The guy raised all the money, oh, right? Doom came to Atlantic City, yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, Atlantic City, right? That's a perfect example of, oh, I got all this money. Now they fall into what Jeffrey Moore refers to as the chasm. And then the book is called Crossing the Chasm because it happens over and over and over. And you see so many projects out there, they're the one and dones. They got their project, they put it up there, and boom, they never find success again. You're one-hit wonders. You're Katrina and the waves walking on sunshine. They get the song. They put it out there, and boom, they never find another one. Because crossing the chasm is not about having that great idea, but it's having that complete solution. Because the next phase of the market adoption is called the early majority of the market. They're not willing to, to settle for it, something that's 80 to 90% done. They want it 100% done, right. wrapped up, delivered to them in a bow. And that's why you have to find a niche that you're feeding that meets 100% of their need. Now, once that niche starts to grow, and in your case, scientists who like to play games who are looking for hardcore science games, once it starts to grow, now you can start to use that niche that you've dominated to now start to go into other areas. And in your case, you took that success and actually published books. Right. Yep. Right? And so, But if you had decided to go off and start doing, I don't know, something totally random, different – uh, clown-based um, jelly bean games, right? That's about as random as right. I can come up with on the moment, right? Your audience would say, no, I am not interested in that and because you're now catering to a whole new audience and you're trying to c cross the chasm yet again. So the secret is, is what you've been pursuing. But that's enough of me talking. What are some of the challenges then or the success that you've had? Because You've raised a half a million dollars through a variety of projects. You've built your game company. You quit your job. You have a family. You're doing all of this. What are some of the things now that you would teach people? What's it like in the, in the day in the life of a publisher? Yeah, that, that's a phenomenal question. Um, I, would, I would say I, I'd have so many things to say. I'm going to have to narrow it down to a few. Um, the, I think the most important the most important attribute to have at this point is just raw focus. Um, there are because I'm, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, and so I'm distracted by every great idea. And I think every idea that's uh, worth pursuing, in many ways, should be pursued. And I really, really have to resist that urge and stay focused on my core market and what I'm doing as a publishing company, and not branch out into making all kinds of other crazy things that. Um, that my core market is not really interested in. Um, and a perfect example of this just happened recently. Um, so I get messages from my backers all the time asking me, oh, when are you guys going to start making uh, history games, accurate, accurate games about historical battles or um, events throughout history? And I tell every time I say the same thing, you know what? Academy Games, Uwe Eichert at Academy Games, he's already doing that. 
Uh, and if you want a good, solid, accurate history game, go check out Academy Games because um, we, you know, we we could start getting into all these other types of games, but we're just going to dilute the the potency of our current offering right now. I have I have hundreds of ideas for more science games, but um, if I start branching out into all these other things. Then um, you know I, I lose the ability to really reach out and contact my email list and my customer base and convert a majority of those people. And if we're not converting the majority of those people, we're spending even more money to reach out to a new audience. Um, and so, growing our, our our audience organically like that is it's super important at this point because we just don't have the funds to grow um, a whole new different product line and audience at this point. Let's talk about those funds because there's a, there's a cycle to those funds as well. Just because you've got 140000 or $150,000, $200,000 for a project, that doesn't mean that you've hit the gravy train and you just get to just move to Aruba and sit on an island and drink my Oh, toast. right. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, the interesting thing with Kickstarter is that um, at some point, you have to transition. So you start out – we started out, got an idea for a game. This is a hobby. I'm just going to launch it and see what happens. Hey, look, it does really well, and now I have these funds. Okay, I have to learn now how to spend these funds the proper way so that I actually make money on the game that I've just published. Hopefully, you can produce more copies of the game afterwards that can sell into distribution, right? And then you make some money. Well, now the challenge is how do you get that game into distribution? Um, once you get it into distribution, could you get a second game into distribution if you were to launch a second Kickstarter campaign? So we found that once we launched our second Kickstarter campaign, we were able to do some decent sales on Amazon and through our website and some small um, local stores and science centers and really niche uh, hobby market. Our third game we launched on Kickstarter – um, that's at the point when I decided that we were going to uh, end my my career as an engineer and, and start running a publishing company. Um, we raised $90,000 for a game called Ion, and um, we used a majority of that to produce Ion, but we had a lot of games left over that we could get into distribution. Um, and once, So now we have three games that are in distribution, but what ends up happening when you're that young and that small of a company your, your reoccurring revenue really doesn't justify quitting your job. And I didn't realize that until after I had quit. But, but um, what, what you essentially need to do is, is uh, like you mentioned um, in one of our episodes, feed the beast. Produce another product, get another game out there to keep the company essentially funded, right? Um, and it's it's kind of a dangerous cycle that you can get yourself into as a publishing company, spending the funds that you do have, needing to produce another product to fund your company. Um, and, and the hope is at some point the reoccurring revenue that you're making from distribution and sales after your Kickstarter campaigns is enough to sustain your, your daily operating or monthly operating expenses as a company. And then when you – launch a Kickstarter campaign, all of that is just above and beyond, right? It's, it's, it's icing on the cake. It's a cherry on top. Um, and, and hopefully some of that is, is profit that then you can put back into the company to produce more products. But if you're not producing that reoccurring revenue, you're just going to be cycling through this really dangerous pattern of producing 
a game or a product through Kickstarter to fund what you've already done and your living expenses. And we did get ourselves into a dangerous position like that um, in, in 2016. I actually had to take a loan for uh, $36,000 to fund the company in early 2016 and then another loan for 45000 in later 2016. And we were able to pay that, pay that back through um, – um, selling some, we licensed some of our games to other companies and we licensed some of the other products and then, um, uh, through Kickstarter campaign profit that we made. But yeah, it's, it's just really interesting as a small publishing company, this balance. And when you look at, I'd love to hear what you think about what, um, Jamie Stagmeyer has recently made an announcement that he is no longer going to be using Kickstarter. He will be publishing games directly into distribution networks. Yeah, that's interesting because Jamie comes to mind because Jamie uh, was was uh, yes, he's made this decision that not to use Kickstarter. He is interesting because he had some spectacularly successful Kickstarter campaigns and yet didn't quit his day job, doing the very thing right. that you just talked about, using the to build up the momentum that allowed time to go on so that when it came time to quit the job, there is a sustained revenue. I've had Aldo Giazzi on the show multiple times who always talks that hammers that distribution 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 one of the challenges with distribution that right. kickstarter backers look at is that how much money they're giving up for distribution but what you're doing is you're feeding the beast the long tail of the beast getting it into distribution right. you're getting it in front of people who haven't heard about it or did hear about it didn't get the kickstarter forgot to go visit your website and now they see it on the shelf and they're like oh yeah i remember that game and you start to get that word of mouth building over the long term. And Aldo has always said that if you can sell uh, 50 games a month forever, you've got yourself a hit on your hands, right? 50 games mm. a month forever. Now, the key part of that, converse, that phrase is forever. You're not making a whole lot of money, but once you get into that stream, like you just talked about, where it's sustained, now you lay another one on top of it, and it becomes almost a subscription model. Right where you're making a return, yeah. a residual income, rather than the boom and bust, putting all that work into it and getting one project out there, living off of that, and then, and hopefully that you have enough money and runway to get to the next project. But the problem is, one miss, right? One miss, and suddenly you find yourself in trouble because you yeah, put a project, oh my gosh, you, yeah. put your, you put it out there, you put all that money into it, and you miss it. And now suddenly you, you, it's like the person living uh, month to month paycheck and suddenly something happens and that paycheck doesn't come in that one month or two months and suddenly you are, find yourself into trouble. That would be another great topic to topic, talk about except for we're out of time. Yeah, we should definitely talk about that. I mean th so that hits home because if any one of our Kickstarter campaigns, the last four or five would have flopped, I don't think we'd be alive right now. I mean, I mean the, the company. I think the company would have – uh, sold or some, you know something would have happened. So we should definitely come back and talk about that. That's a great topic because you got to figure out how do you build that s sustainment. How do you keep yeah. it going? Feed the beast. That's the that's the new term. Feed the beast. John, it's always a pleasure. To so have if you on Jamie, show. yes, absolutely. So if Jamie is the white angel on your right shoulder, John is the the black <laughs> angel on your left shoulder. Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but. Uh, but we certainly have some good advice here to, for people to prevent them from rushing in and making some mistakes. John, thanks again Absolutely. very much. Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been John Covey of Genius Games. You can find him at gotgeniusgames.com. 
Also, again, thank you to my Patreon supporters and for those who have been backing the, uh, this podcast for so many years. Thanks for listening. Take care.